the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. Hello, this is Ian Austin for another episode of Friday Night Fright. And unfortunately, this is not a brand new episode I promised last week, which was obviously the direct the commentary, the direct commentary for Brian De Palma's classic John Travolta movie from 1980's Blowout. Unfortunately, it's not that one, because I decided to do a different episode, which was going to be me rebooting Scream 5, and that sounds like a really, really awesome episode. Indeed, the first half was. I've recorded about 35 minutes of it, and it's particularly enjoyable. I think the plot's good, I think it's going quite good direction, and I was hoping to get to the outputs this week. But I haven't, and the reason I haven't is because I am absolutely knackered. I started doing it on Monday, um, but since then my week's been jam-packed with social fun, work fun, and all the fun you can have. And I said, that's fine, I'll do it today on Thursday. And it got to Thursday, and I was like, I can't do this. And here's the truth about making you content for podcasts or YouTube or whatever. The truth is that... I said, and I guarantee you guys, one episode a week. That's my guarantee. Sometimes more, sometimes less. That's it. But, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes it'll be a case that I can't do an original episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. You'll get an episode a week, regardless. At least one. But sometimes I'll have to take creative shortcuts like this. Because I'm a human being. I work very hard in my job and on this. And sometimes I literally don't have the energy to finish an episode the way I'd like to. So I have to take creative shortcuts. In this case, a clip show, which is going to be a clip show of my various Limitless reviews. If anyone's upset this, I'm very sorry. But also I'm not sorry because, you know, I work really hard. I'm very tired and you get this shit for free. It's not even Patreon yet. You're literally getting this for free. So, you know... Some perspective maybe is required sometimes. But on plus side, you get an episode. And on the other plus side, for next week's Screen 5 reboot, where I do like the thing, you'll get a much better second half of that movie pitch than you would have got if I rushed out. Because there's no point rushing out. It won't be what I want. And if it's not what I want, then you won't enjoy it. Because after all, you're here to listen to my unique sense of humour and my various idiosyncrasies. Anyway, just like the intro to the episode, apologise if anyone's upset, but you do get reviews, my reviews of M. Night Shyamalan's Glass, Shazam, a Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler-free review, and a Spider-Man Far From Home spoilery review. So what's they not like about that? They're all superhero movies. It's a theme. Run with it, guys. And after, the episode, after that little bit of content said, I'll do a little bit at the end of the episode of what future hosts of the podcast. So you do get some special content after all. Anyway, I would be back after a brief word from my sponsor. Or at least Ian from Past will be back. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Ian Austin. And this is the first Friday Night Fright Limitless of year. Those who are listening in season one will remember occasionally I'll do a Limitless episode, which was me reviewing a movie and I saw at Eogen using my Limitless card. Well, here's another instalment flat, and this one's for the movie class. From two-minute point, I'll be doing full spoilers. So I should warn you, stop listening about that point if you don't want to be spoiled for the movie. First minute and a half, two minutes, so it's going to be me reviewing it. I won't say up front that I 
enjoyed the first two thirds of this movie. I thought it was really good. Generally gripping stuff, some great acting. Samuel Jackson in particular does an amazing job, although he's matched by James McAvoy. Bruce Willis tends to go back more to that subtle style of acting that Shia Malong had early in his career. And very matter-of-fact. He's not trying to steal show. He's very much trying to play it matter-of-factly, I guess you can say. Very realistic, very grounded. But it's his best acting performance in a few years, I'd say. He clearly gets what Shia Malong wants. And Shia Malong gets what Bruce Willis can do at this point. So that's good. Um, the action's good. Um... The tension, the, the sort of set building, scene building is really good. Sarah Paulson's very good too. You know, I, I think two thirds of a really, really good movie, and then last act, yeah. Um, I'm going spoilers in a few seconds, but it really lets the movie down. I'd say if you're rating it, I'd say it's much. I didn't enjoy Split much at all, so I'd say it's better than Split, but. It doesn't hold the ground as much as Unbreakable did. And I think part of the reason why is because Unbreakable was quite... Was one simple story, two, it was before the oversaturation super movies. Since then, we've had so many that this kind of falls down a bit. And I'm going to go and spoil this now. So you've got the 10-second countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Right, spoiler time. Um... The last act is a mess. It's a mess from the point that the characters um really interact for the first time, to be honest, because there is interaction up to that point, but it's all scene setting for the big fight. Essentially, the best way for this movie is akin to a Rocky movie where you get the fight, the first fight between the hero and villain, which David Dunn and um, uh, the Horde, the Beast, even. You get that first fight, which ends with them being sent to a psychiatric hospital. And then rest movie is setting up that they're going to fight again. It's setting up the rematch. And it does a great job remake you want to see it by re-getting into characters of David Dunn and um, the Beast, Kevin, Wendell Crumb, and all the distinct personalities like Patricia and Dennis. And Reed does a great job of bringing the supporting characters back because really it's trying to make you feel for the characters. A lot of superhero movies do superficial character work, but they don't really get into minds of characters because there's not enough time, there's licenses and all that crap. Whereas this is clearly designed more as a psychological thriller slash horror movie with superhero elements than superhero movie. In that guard, it's taking the feel first unbreakable and merging it with split. In that so it does a great job of combining universes in a cool way. Problem is, therein lies the flaw. While it is cool to do, at a certain point, it feels like they're jamming two genres together because the first Unbreakable was not a horror movie. It had terrifying aspects with some of the home invasions and stuff like that and people David Dunn fought. But it didn't really know, like, feel like a horror movie and Split did so jamming those together and best parts of this movie are when they have the pure character stuff when they're getting into some more of the superhero bits it falls down a little and then a lot near the end the essential gist of moving then is um Sarah Paulson's character Dr Staples Staple 
um, staple, which is another term. You know, you've got staple, you've got glass, you've got broken, you've got unbreakable. So, And um, essentially, right, going back, David Dung has been working in home security since the end of the last movie, I guess. It's this direct sequel to that and split. It's set 19 years after Unbreakable. It's crazy to think about. So this movie is very much about starting off with David Dunn trying to track down Beast. And we find out that David Dunn and his son from the first movie are working in team. His son being kind of the Oracle character in this movie. Oh, it's had, these are full spoilers, by the way. Complete spoilers. So I'll put that in the head into. And... He's trapped King Beast and traps him and saves some cheerleaders and they fight and the first fight's really cool because it's very much in darkness and it's very unchoreographed and very sloppy but in a good way. Lots of super movies feel overly choreographed action sequences. This feels like two guys like untrained guys having a fight. Although you'd think they've done with training in nineteen years. So that's quite cool. That's a good fight. But then they're trapped by cops and Doctor Staple. And here's the first problem I have with the movie. The premise essentially boils down to Dr. Staple is a psychiatrist specialising in superhero disorders. Okay? But then they say superheroes don't exist. So if they don't exist, how can she be specialised specialist in field which doesn't exist, you know? That's the first red herring, which I'll pick up on when get Gem for the review. And then... They're trapped in a psychiatric hostel, which is really cool because it's a unique idea. It's that sort of Arkham Asylum idea. So you have um, the personalities are trapped and there's a device which is like a light that shines and forces the personalities to... One personality to leave and another one come to the light. So that's quite a cool device. And the plot gist of movies, Serpul's soon's character, Dr. Staples, trying to undo the delusions of these characters and that's interesting to an extent but at the same time it feels like you're filling time into big fights because it's clear M. Night Shyamalan doesn't want to do a big superhero movie wants to keep very grounded which is not a problem and I respect that because I'm great great force grounding that's fine but there's not a lot of meat to psychiatry to psychiatric hospital scenes and they're not bad there's some great character stuff in there but you get spits for example right one of the key things is um samuel jackson's character elijah from the um unbreakable he spends first half the movie comatose and then he kicks his plot in high gear which is fine it's just you get a lot of scenes of like you're not leaving your room, are you, Elijah? And he just looks blank at the camera. And Samuel Jackson's a great actor, and he's a wonderful job in this movie, especially in the end. But you feel like you're wasting your ace in the hole by having him do nothing. And I get that's how movies movie is designed, but, you know, it, it also f- suffers because we never really get that scene with him and David Dunn. You know, right, that really great, it's been 19 years amazing meet-up scene going. We don't really get that. You get teases of it. And I don't know, maybe it's a writing thing. Maybe Samuel Jackson did say they changed the ending last minute, which makes a lot of sense. That might have had more of an impact than that original ending. 
but 19 years to see these characters and F, a lot of people want an unbreakable sequel and we get it but we don't get much time we get more time with the supporting characters from three movies Elijah's mother uh, David Dunn's son and Casey from Split which is fine it's not a problem they're all good actors and they're all good scenes it's just that big scene David Dunn and Elijah doesn't happen and there's also Oh no, I, I I get that they're trying to make um Kevin Wendell Crumb into a synthetic figure and James Cavill again does a really good job, but after Split it's like no, not really. It doesn't entirely work. It feels a bit forced. They also try to go down to um a big point where they reveal a theory a lot of people guessed about the drain crash. Um, namely Kevin's farping. But then you stop and think, wait a second. That was public news. Why is it? It feels like it's a weird twist to throw in. Just to wrap up neat ends, I guess, to combine the trilogies. And there's nothing wrong with that intrinsically, but the the whole thing find Unbreakable was Elijah literally created David Dunn. He just meant to see if anyone could survive that train crash. And David Dunn did. So he knew after that, you're my guy. That's fine. But then they try and throw Split into it too. And to be honest, M. Night Shyamalan might have had this idea when made on Breakball. He did say he had an early version of the Horde in that movie, which he took out because he thought it's too much. Actually, no, it wouldn't work because train crash. I don't, it's just... It's sloppy, and it's sloppy trying to connect Doc's writing that didn't be connected, because the rest, first two thirds of the movie are a bit slow, but very subtle, and then that's like, you're just being smashed over the head with it, like, crap, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, essentially, Elijah's plan is to reveal the superheroes to the entire world, which is, you know, interesting, it's cool, but... Then it gets after break and all of that stuff, gets to the final fight, and it's the stuff we've done and um uh Wendell Crumb and the Horde and Beast, it's really good because it's that chronicle feel of we're going to capture this footage from a distance using video cameras, which is a done lot better than Chronicle, because here it's more subtle heroics, if that makes any sense. So bending bars and throwing people in cars and stuff like that. Whereas Chronicle is stuff exploding and god knows. This seems terrifying because it's it's human enough that your mind can correlate it, but it, it's inhuman enough that you're scared witless, I guess. And, yeah, then it still falls off cliff because you find out what Ellis, what Dr. Staples' agenda really is. And... You know, I'm not going to spoil that. I'm not going to spoil that. I'm just going to say that it's... Ugh. M. Night Shyamalan has this weird thing where he feels like he needs to throw in the big moments, you know? And you thought he would have learned from Split and, like, Unbreakable, which are more subtle. They do have endings which kind of change how you view movie, but they don't come out of nowhere. They feel very logical, you know? But this goes back to, like, the big sweeping moment, you know? And it's it really put me off the entire movie, to be honest. Um, it's when the movie falters, because up to that point, it's a really interesting movie, and then he tends to... Uh, 
it's irritating. I don't know if that's even... Screw it, I'll put major spoiling warning, major spoiler warning on this. Alright, so you got 10 seconds before I ruin the ending for you, okay? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. If you still listen to this point, I, I you you had spoiler warning and then major spoiler warning. Okay, so the ending of the movie is uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Staples works for a superhuman elimination organization which meets in public, in restaurants, waits for everyone to leave, and then they talk about their agendas, which is stupid. And they showed up to get rid of the beast, the horde, and David Dunn and Elijah were just casualties. As she says in the end of the movie, I, we worked of left you alone, but we had to deal with Beast. Okay, so their thing is superheroes create soup, lead to more supervillains. Okay. But they left, they've done loans 19 years. Your head just rackles thinking about it. It doesn't make any sense. It feels like cop out bullshit. And at the same time, it's it's te- it's a teaser. Yeah, like, hey, we'll make more sequels. It's like, why? Dunn's gone. Elijah's gone. The Beast is gone. The three actors carrying this shit are gone. We're never going to get that big scene with Bruce Willis and Elijah again. And it's just like, I think what they want to try and put across these reality series, but it's like, well, yeah, but it does. But that's... Really unsatisfying ending on so many levels. After 19 years waiting for Unbreakable, to go down that superhero trope, oh, it's terrible. Really off-putting. Which is a shame, because take that aside, and Split is a really... Uh, sorry, not Split. Split's not very good. Glass is a very good movie. Shove more Samuel Jackson, though. It feels like it's meant to, but it's that Captain America Civil War standpoint where he doesn't have enough of the movie, you know? He has half of it. From second half onwards, it's his movie, but first half, it's all David Dunn, Kevin Wendell, Grumman, and Beast, and all that crap. So, yeah, that's my review of Glass. And so, I... I, I hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend it. But then again, I don't think you should listen to this review before you watch the movie. So, you know, hopefully you've seen the movie first. Wait, this is the first Friday Night Fright Limitless of 2019. And I'm sure I'll be doing more soon. Until next time, remember, life is beautiful. Hello, this is Ian Austin and this is Friday Night Fright Limitless. Shazam! Limitless series, of course, is me using my Limitless Odin card to see all the movies I want to see at cinema. And Shazam's one of them. So this is going to be a quick review. Um, uh, about 15 minutes or so, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, I'm not sure. Anyway, yep, so I've seen Shazam. I saw it on Friday and it's now Sunday. I'm in the midst of wrestling season. Um, NXT was Friday and watched that yesterday. Go and watch, try and watch G1 Supercard later on in WrestleMania tomorrow. So I should be able to get Paranormal Activity up for next Friday, but it's going to be a different one. It's going to be um, 
the Tokyo Nights Paranormal Activity Tokyo Nights, which I found on Blu-ray on Amazon. Hopefully it'll work. And I'll be doing a um, recap of sorts of that next week. I know Paranormal Activity movies have slipped a bit, but I have a few things I'd rather do. The Get Out and Us reviews I was obviously quite proud of. And uh, Shazam be up on Tuesday, Paranormal Activity Tokyo Nights on Friday. And maybe a special review for next week. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, Shazam, what did I think? Well, firstly, I need to say no, I'm a big fan of the comic book Shazam. Um, the comic book obviously started out being called Captain Marvel, The Adventures of Billy Batson, who wished and then became Captain Marvel, but then rights and all of that nonsense came into it. So now it's just called Shazam, which in some ways better because, you know, Shazam's the name for the wizard and, you know, passed down legacy and all of that. It's an easy way to create a legacy movie. I should add from this point, there's going to be spoilers for the review, obviously. So if you don't want to listen to spoilers, um, don't listen to the review. I'll give my brief to most of what I thought the movie was. I thought it was a very watchable movie, very entertaining, very good. It had kind of a slight 80s aesthetic, obviously done in modern day, so it's not quite as 80s as you just imagine. But, sorry, performances were all strong. Um, Mark Strong, <laughs> strong, strong Mark Strong was very good and for overall it kept to the theme of the comic quite nicely although there were a few horror horror elements in there and in some ways I'm kind of sad it wasn't a PG because if any movie should be appealing to kids it should be Captain it should be Shazam in fact it's rated as kind of like a PG-13 rating in some ways it's a bit frustrating because you miss out on that child audience but on the other hand there were a lot of horror elements in this movie which kind of worked kind of kind of worked but at the same time, you could have downplayed some of them just a bit and probably gone for a PG. I don't know, maybe. Like, not every superhero movie needs to be a PG-13, you know? Um, I think it's definite room for growth. And I love the fact that it's, set in it's clearly set in DC Extended Cinematic Universe weather and plays with that a fair bit. So I would recommend it. I think, some regard, it... Definitely feels like a movie which play better on your couch at like seven o'clock on Saturday, Friday, or whatever. You know, DVD, Blu-ray at home movie rather than Sigma movie, but there's a lot of special effects which work best in Sigma, and a few Shazam transformations and action scenes which do need Sigma at least for the first time view it, and then after that point you can view it on DVD and all work out okay. So yeah, I'd probably say about three point five out of five. Not quite the Shazam movie I was hoping for, but nails a lot of the elements I did like. Um, no, I did want in Shazam movie. If I could have one complaint, it's not, well, no even complaint, um, Dr. Thad, Thaddeus Sivana in this movie is played very serious and that works for the movie, but I can't, in some ways I miss the scheming, ridiculously overtop scientist from the comic book. But again, I understand why they went for that choice because if you've got Billy Batson, who's earnest and that part of the universe is quite fun and silly then you need Sivana should clash with Captain with Shazam Shazam feels quite fun it's quite a fun light superhero and they've got Sivana who feels quite um dark and edgy in some ways that works because it's like clash of styles like Sivana represents a villain that you imagine DC versus Superman or Batman would fight and Shazam represents that more Marvel colourful aesthetic and in point fact Shazam's probably the most colourful Super, it's got a lot of Christopher Reeve vibes to the character, you know? 
And like with Batman, Wonder Woman, it's strange it took them so long to have characters who were a bit more light and fun. Like, they clearly can do it, but they don't for whatever reason. Anyway, from here on in, there'll be spoilers. So, you know, stop listening from three, two, one. Still listening, you're going to be spoiled. I'm sorry. Um, so, Shazam. I think best way to describe it is a really good translation for the Jeff Johns comic book run more than anything. Taking the idea of um, Shazam being a family legacy, you know, the um, uh, foster kids, Pedro, Eugene, Mary, Darla, and Freddie, Mary and Billy. Having them as like a, a family brought together by the um, lovely parents, who I can't remember their names. But it's quite a cool vibe, and I like the idea that there's this family sense. It's, it goes back to something Jeff Jones always did wearing comic books, which was Legacy. And massive spoilers. Well, not even massive spoilers. If you know comic, you know that all characters end up getting super, end up becoming Marvels of their own or Shazams of their own. And Billy sharing it with them is a nice path to character arc. Although it got a bit frustrating points because it was like I was thinking this is clearly where movies go and it drags out and doesn't do it to right near the end. But there's some cool stuff there. The only thing I think of is they'll have to tread carefully in the sequel because you know. It should still be Billy's story predominantly. And the fact they're teasing quite heavily a few things. But actually, go a couple of different ways in the sequel. you got got um, the Monster Men. They tease with the crocodiles um, through, like, doorway room. you got Sivana and fucking Mr. Mines in this movie. Like, that's crazy. That's amazing. Like, Mr. Mine, I'm sure anyone watches this movie who gets that point be like, I don't understand what who's Miss Mine, how's that make any sense? He's telepathic, like cockroaching, so like, yes, yes, he is. That's why comforts were awesome. And Shazam embraces that quite nicely. I thought keeping Savannah around fit very much in line with where the um cat of Shazam is. You know, they he shouldn't mur- Shazam shouldn't murder anyone, you know. It should be nice, bright, fluffy, weird. And in that regard, I, one of the things I like most about movies, as I said earlier, it contrasts with brighter DC with wider DC universe. The fact that these characters exist in that universe is crazy, and it feels like they're trying to do a kind of mild reset since Justice League. Like this movie posits that all of those things happen. Superman's back, and it's all bright and got. Actually, leads to one of my favourite scenes in the movie, which was the um, the uh, cameo, for lack of a better term, by Superman, and um, from Net Down. But I can't like that because apparently there's rumours that Henry Cavill was written into this movie to play Superman, but evidently creative issues and pay issues necessitate that not happening. But it's kind of funnier because this movie feels kind of audacious. It's to a mild extent the Deadpool of the DC universe, where it's like we can have a fun, you know, not the extremes of Deadpool but you know they have some fun they'd be a bit silly a bit save reverent and poking fun at the um, bullets that Freddy's caught from Superman and Batman fighting and all bits of superhero stuff that Freddy's picked up it's kind of amusing really because the DC universe with like Batman Superman all of that doesn't portray superheroes in a great light but Freddy's embraced the idea of them and just run with it. It's like showing that kid it's almost like they're saying Freddy's a standing for Dale Sandberg who made a movie. By positing that, you know, 
You can take the ideas and run with them. You don't need necessarily be hamstrung by the execution, you know? Daryl clearly is given keys to this cinematic car and he, he drove it. And I think he does a really good job. I think he's clearly hired because he can make it a bit darker than he's otherwise spent from a Shazam movie, but at the same time play off the tropes and make it light too. The um cinematic sins the six um oh seven deadly sins as personified in this movie are terrifying effects. That's probably what got them PG thirteen. It's quite horrifying effects really. As as if them uh ah, as it's emphasized by when they massacre John Glover. Who that's lovely to see John Glover in the movie. He's a really good actor and it's a bit matter of him playing the um corrupt evil father of a bold supervillain. No, small thing. But John Glover's always good. And Mark Strong does a really good job. He plays off the um other characters nicely because he's so serious and like angry and upset about like why he wasn't chosen. And Billy's just pointing out that like it doesn't matter if chosen or not, it matters what you do or don't do. And for Billy's got a nice character arc in this movie. He likes it, follows the Jeff Jones run a fair bit. If I was going to have any criticisms, I mean, not even criticisms, just like little points. Um, I think kind of Mary was, Mary Batson, or Vasquez, whatever her name is, was unutilized. She's obviously um, in the original comic book, she's actually Billy's sister, but in this comic book, she's like his foster sister because the way the movie deviates with Billy's parentage, it doesn't make any sense for Mary to be related to Billy in any blood form. Although the movie does present that blood isn't necessarily blood ain't family, you know, family is what you make of it. But I think they I don't know, it's something Compass run into too, where they try and portray that she's a, a a lovely woman, I guess is best way of putting it. But sometimes that can be a bit dull. And movie some tends to almost fall into that trap. There's a few bits of lines of dialogue talking about how she um did run away a couple of times, which gives a bit of a character streak, but there's not much. Uh, some of the other kids don't get much either. Darla obviously gets a lot. She's the youngest one, and she gets some good stuff to work with, and the the um, actress is very charming um, and adorable. Um, Freddie obviously gets the most of screen time, sort of like Billy's sidekick, um, and Pedro and Eugene get little bits here and there, but not too much. Although they didn't have to include them all, and it's quite a nice change of pace having them. Well, well, comments. I thought stuff. Billy's mum was a original mum. That's quite sad, actually. I thought that's quite a interesting change to mythos. Um, uh, having her as a teenage mother who chose to give her kid up, but then there's a bit at the end where they hint that maybe there's a bit more to it than meets the eye. She looks sadly after him as he walks away. So who knows? Um, one part I was sad about was we didn't get. Tawny Talky the Tiger, um, the Talking Tiger. It was one of my favourite parts of Shazam mythology, but obviously we'll get that in the sequel because there are tiger, little tiger bits on Billy's costume, on his cloak even, cape. And no Black Adam, but I suppose that makes sense. You don't want to overawe the movie too much, and there's a good bit of foreshadowing for him. Also, it's kind of nice and they're not rushing through 
the villains too quickly because the idea of Black Adam in the sequel in his own movie is quite interesting and could be quite cool. And um, yeah, I mean, I I I like the movie. It was fun. I thought it was um very watchable. I'm sure it'll be better on second viewing. Love the jokes here. Um, a little kid smashing Batman Superman figures against each other and then Shazam fighting Doc Savannah. Oh, Doc Savannah Superpass, by the way, because he they they didn't really want to go down the mad scientist route too much, so he had to have um be powered by the seven deadly sins. Which I get, you know, I get you need to have fights and all that, but in future movies, I'd much more like to see Dr. Sivine as the crazy scientist who's making ridiculous shit and trying to take down Shazam with. That, personally, I would prefer, but I understand maybe it's a bit too much for the first movie, and Mr. Mind could give him the um, uh, mental capacity to make stuff like that. But Dr. Crazy comic book... Dot Sivana, scientist Dot Sivana is always my favourite version of character. Like the stuff from 52 event where, comic book event where him and a bunch of scientists are carrying weapons to take down Black Adam. I love that stuff, you know? I think Mark Strong could re go over the top with it, so that'd be good. But he's playing room for a sequel, so. And seems to have made a pretty decent amount of money, so that's encouraging. Anyway, so there you go. That's my review of Shazam. Definitely recommended. The horror elements are quite horrifying. Not perfect movie, but very competently made, clear action, decent action, and for once not a take over the planet story. I mean, it's hinted that that's Sivan's long term plan, but his first plan was I want your power, because I want to be worthy. It's kind of like a Red Skull Captain America thing where it's sort of like, Why are you worthy and I'm not? And the reason Billy's worthy is because he's not he doesn't want power. You know? So yeah, I thought that's a really good movie, very fun. Um very light, and I thought they did a good job having some of the goofier elements of comic book, like Billy's cursing of holy moly, feel somewhat fluent, fluid in movie. And I'll be looking forward to the next uh, Shazam or whatever it is. And like I said, next on Friday it'll be um, Paranormal Activity Tokyo Nights. Next week maybe I'll do enough horror movie review or Friday Night Fright Limits. Who knows? Anyway. To next time, remember, life is beautiful. So, without any spoilers, because why would I possibly spoil this movie for you? I watched Spider-Man Far From Home. I saw it at the cinema in York. Yes, I went to York. It was a magnificent experience. I love York and I love this movie. Yay, Spider-Man Far From Home. I loved it. Very good movie. You probably think that you can stop listening right about now, and you could, but why don't you want to hear about what I love about movie? I'll go in detail. Maybe, who knows? I'll do my spoilery review part after I do my non-spoilery review part. So bear with me a sec and drink some dark coke. Delicious. I love this movie because it was fun. I know what you're going to say. Aren't all Marvel movies fun? Yes, to a degree. This was laugh out loud fun, and that's good. That's what you need in life, especially after your sidekick's left your podcast. You're off screen sidekick, granted, off sound, off microphone sidekick, but one does all the shit that you don't want to do. Oh no, I swore. Oh no. CS1 is sidekick. Ruined, I swore. Okay, this episode has to have the expletive tag now. God damn it, I won't get those ki- I won't get kids listening. You can't have kids listening if you're swearing, that's the rules. 
and we're back to Spider-Man Far From Home. It's a Spider-Man movie you wanted all of your life, and you got it. It has flips, it has quips, it has... Uh, flips, quips. Blips! Yeah, flips, quips, and blips, because they call the, the whole thing from Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War, they call it the blip. So flips, quips, and blips. <laughs> There's a tagline for you, Marvel. Please pay me money, I need money. Anyway, back to review. It's a very good Spider-Man movie. In fact, I would possibly go so far and say, obviously this is before I re, you know, rewatch it, because I think you need to rewatch movie a couple of times to determine whether it's your favourite. But at first viewing, I'd say it's probably most I've enjoyed the Spider-Man movie in total. I know, I know, crazy. First viewing, obviously, you know, you need to bear that in consideration. But I loved it. I had everything I wanted from a Spider-Man movie and everything I didn't get from Spider-Man Homecoming. Don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast before, but I wasn't a huge fan of Homecoming. Uh, I've since enjoyed it more on Netflix, but in cinema, I was really bored. I just felt like they were going for a John Hughes aesthetic, and I understand that and I get it, but I don't think they pulled it off the way they wanted to. One thing with John Hughes movies is they're very earnest, but they feel timeless, you know? You feel like you can watch them in any decade and the prevailing themes work and they still work. I think one problem with Spider-Man Homecoming is maybe if you hadn't had access to comic books, the ultimate Spider-Man comic books, you would have enjoyed it more. But I did have access to those, and I saw all the John Hughes allusions in them. So I'd already gone through that update of Spider-Man with those sort of connective threads, those homages, if you will. And Homecoming didn't really do much for me. It also didn't feel like a movie which had a particular identity. Now, Grant, maybe that's because I left half an hour in because I was really bored. But, you know, I wasn't vibing on it. And also, I wasn't really vibing on um, Tom Holland as... Um, Hollander? Holland? Um, where? Tom Holland. Holland something. Holland Tom. I wasn't vibing on Holland Tom as Spider-Man. That's not his fault. He's a, clearly a very good actor and did a decent job in Civil War. But I just felt like... There was nothing that movie brought to the table that other Marvel movies didn't bring better. It's like they weren't entirely sure what they were doing. You know, it was trying to introduce him, but not introduce him, and Aunt May, but not introduce Aunt May, and all of that. And then there's the going round circle with regards to Uncle Ben, and it was like, eh. But having seen uh, Infinity War and Endgame, and now realised what they were doing where they were doing, like, a multi-movie arc to introduce Spider-Man to the Marvel Universe. So, that when we got this movie, this was, like, the first time we'd really seen Spider-Man in Marvel Universe, you know? And I think, in that regard, they did a good job. It was really fun, really enjoyable. Seeing Spider-Man play with Nick Fury was fantastic. Really, really funny. Um, Happy Hogan's good. Uh, Aunt May's good. The villainous stuff was really cool. I will be going in detail on that in a second when I do the spoilery part for the review. But what I would say for now is Jake Gyllenhaal was absolutely fantastic. And I bought every second of him and Peter Parker completely, utterly, hook, line, sinker, bought it. And it's great. I really enjoyed it. I definitely recommend it. Don't want to be spoiled. Go and see it. It's funny. It's clever. It's action-packed. It's got a really good plot. It follows on from Avengers in Endgame really well and also seems to set up some of the idea of where the future would go in terms of Marvel. 
So definitely go and see it. Four out of five, you know, four out of five Friday Night Frights. And despite my troubles and my woes with this podcast, I was able to get out of my safe for a couple of hours and enjoy a movie. So definitely recommend it. Go see Spider-Man Far From Home. And if you won't be spoiled, I'll be back in a few seconds. Okay, so if you're still here, you want spoilers. So spoilers are going to be from this point forward. So if you don't want to listen to spoilers, I will listen from the 22nd portion of this little section onwards. I did love this movie. I really enjoyed this movie. And I'm going to go in detail about what I enjoyed about it right now. Okay, so I love this movie because I love, love, love when Marvel sing. Marvel really play with the idea of these characters because in this movie they did such a great job of having Mysterio played by Jake Gyllenhaal aka Quentin Beck he did such a great job building up him as this character and you're like at some point you're thinking if you know comic books you know he's a villain in comics and you're trying to figure out are Marvel going to play us are they actually going to go full width with him as a hero and then they resolve the core plot with the elementals and you're thinking they have to pull. They have to pull the lever. They have to go there. I mean, we've got half hour of the movie left. Forty five minutes actually. They have to go there, surely. And then there's a bit of doubt. And then you get a cool moment where Spider Man puts his full trust in him. And then they reveal who he really is. And it's such an such an awesome moment where he reveal exactly what his plan is. So cool. And all tie backs to our early Marvel movies and Civil War of Tony Stark's techno bath technology. And just the general vibe of like his ridiculous speech about who he is and what he's doing, what he's aiming to achieve. It goes on for so long that it becomes amazing because it's like these characters know it. Him and his crew know what he's doing and what his plan is. They explain it to the audience and it sounds silly and it is. And it's kind of like in terms of the universe, it makes no sense they would explain this. But in terms of the story and watching it live, it's so funny that you get this giant exposition dub as Jake Gyllenhaal gets more and more worked up. And it leads to some unbelievable Mysterio level manipulations of Spider-Man I mean proper full on this shit is straight out of a comic book and it at times it gets a bit exasperating just like how can he pull this off he doesn't actually have magical powers it's, it's an illusion and then you think trips illusions tricks are for whores you know, if you think that, then you watch a movie. But I really enjoyed that. I thought Gian Hall was amazing in the movie. He really did a great job. Because you can believe someone like him would be in a Marvel movie as one of the main characters. Like, in slight different time frame, he could have easily played Doctor Strange, you know? So he, you buy him as, like, one of these characters. And especially since he made Zojack with Ruffalo and Rob Down Jr. I mean, he was the last member of Trinity of the... David Fincher's best movie to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and he plays Mysterio. It's fun. It's cool. Also loved the idea that Nick Fury was haranguing Spider-Man the whole time and then the twist at the end of the trailers, oh, which I won't go, in, won't go in detail on, you know. I won't go in detail on that. You just need to see the movie for that. You know, I didn't watch I've post-credit scenes. I know what they are, but I didn't watch them. But I think... From the sounds of it, they'll impact Marvel Cinematic Universe quite a bit in the near future. But yeah, I just thought that's great. I thought the stuff with May and Happy Hogan's really funny. 
You know, John Favreau's a very good comic actor, and I think Maurice Tomei getting a bit more to do is fun. Although I did not care for the fact that they've completely shrugged off and that she knows Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I get that Blip impacted that a fair bit, but at the same time, it's like that could have given her some real dramatic material to work with, and they just shrug it off. It's like, okay, it's fine, you know. It's nice that she got over it quickly, but we haven't got to see it. So it's a bit like with Uncle Ben, where these two things clearly have influenced how Peter is acting at this stage, but they're not shown to us. They're just told, which is been annoying. I also thought the deification of Tony Stark was a bit weird because, I mean, he's not coming back. He's done. He's finished. And having another of his... Um, Another character who totally forced pushing villainy be one of Spider-Man's villains is a bit nah. No, I I get criticism for that, but at the same time, I like the idea that Pete Parker's picked up this legacy to an extent, and I like the fact that he's run with it. He's clearly the big superhero Marvel now. I know Captain Marvel is the big um powerhouse, but Spider-Man's always going to be Marvel's number one. So even in peace with Sony. What other stuff do I like? Um, the vibe, the Nick Fury banter. Samuel Jackson's clearly at this point having time for his life. He's just really enjoying playing up the similar aspects of Marvel Universe. And his banter here and in Captain Marvel is so on point. And also, this movie was really, really funny, which was good. Uh, criticisms? I suppose, like I said, a bit too much deification for Tony Stark. Um... No, he's influencing things a lot. And on one hand, that's cool. On the other hand, you, they can't go back to that way too much more. The end of this movie seems to suggest Spider-Man would go completely solo from this point on, which would be good because, you know, you need to sort of have him be his own character from now, surely, you know. And also, I, I, I like jokes about Blip and about F1 coming back after Endgame and things like that in the middle of basketball games and May showing up in uh, her old, her old flat or house or whatever five years later when there's somebody's living there. I thought that stuff was interesting, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like the whole Blip thing's going to be a particularly big plot point. Although maybe it will be, maybe when we get to like the 20 movies. Of movies set in 2023, Marvel Universe will be a bit more apparent that it's part of the overarching story. But I feel like Marvel's working on something for a big, long-form story, and they're just taking their time getting there. And why wouldn't they? I mean, our movies at the moment are being made in, like, 2019, and they'll come out, and then they'll eventually get to 2023 in real time and then they'll probably do big stories from there so they've got a bit of leeway but it's not quite universe shattering event you'd think it'd be always people come back but at the same time they've got eight months they've also pushed eight months later so you know who knows maybe it'll be maybe it'll be something interesting when we catch up to them in terms of real time to 2023 i'd like to go to disney plus shows so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the twist was amazing. Um, I hope they can find some way to bring Jake Gyllenhaal back um, as character. Uh, you know, that'd be really cool because he's a really good villain. But at the same time, Spider-Man's got so many villains, they should just focus on them for a while, you know. Plus, since the 6 could be in the next Spider-Man movie, and that'd be really cool. 
Anyway, this movie ends post-credit stuff. There's a lot of dramatic potential future Spider-Man movies, so it'll be good. Anyway, this is Ian Austin, Friday Night Fright, signing off. This was not quite a kid-friendly podcast I anticipate making, but it's free content, and it's a good advertisement for, for my future patron, where when I actually get set up, there'll be more stuff like this on there. But for now, remember, life is beautiful. Hello, I'm back to do an outro for the episode. Ooh, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, if you didn't, well, you might enjoy next week's bear. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I just do stuff to do stuff, to be honest. couple of updates on the podcast. One, patrons still being worked on. I do want to sort out. But as I mentioned last week or this week, I don't know. It all runs blur together, to be honest. It's this tax thing's confusing shit out of me. I don't understand what it means. And... If it's going to take the podcast into more businessy area, I need to do some more research on it. So that's what we worked on. Uh, I'm sure there's other things being worked on. Oh, one of them is I'm going to be starting to do YouTube videos soon. I know, of course, what you're thinking. You hide your face, you deathly handsome man. You know, I'm deathly. Tongue to say, I'm roguishly handsome. That's all my hint face. I started doing this podcast because I thought it'd be fun to do something with my voice and challenge all that. And don't get wrong, it's still a challenge, but it's. Sorry, at the same time, you need new challenges. So, YouTube is going to be a new challenge. I've done some streaming for it, and I've got some ideas for YouTube content, which will be a bit shorter. This podcast, obviously, is about half an hour to maybe a couple of hours a week. But YouTube stuff is going to be much shorter, much more compact, much more like the Limitless Reviews, to be honest. Other than that, content, blowout, the blowout country is coming soon, trust me. Shock treatment's coming soon. Um, the payoff to that Mabel storyline's coming soon. You might hear a voice, you might not. I don't know. I'm breaking KFAB. I'm breaking fourth wall. Hi, Colt Commander. How are you doing? <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I've got lots of ideas. Um, it will be coming back soon. Um, Stephen King's The Shining miniseries, because I'm Glad Punchman. And, I don't know, maybe something for Halloween. You know, you've got, I ought to do it's Halloween, but maybe I'll do a little more something for Halloween, too. And I don't think I'm going to be able to do it, but... Possibly you might get me doing something from the Abattoir Horror Festival in Wales, although they haven't got back to me yet. Guys, what are you doing? You can get free publicity. All you have to do is give me some cheddar cheese, you know? But anyway, for that, for now, I'm signing off. I'll see you next week for the Scream 5 reboot, and I don't know, maybe I'll be able to do something next Tuesday. I don't know. But until next time, remember, life is beautiful. Play me out, Sam.